Uh, so guess what? We can break that easily up into four 30-minute chunks and be able to digest this and w- let it work deep into us. And that's what I love about doing teaching on a series. And we're kicking off one that I'm just going to go ahead and be open. We're just going through Philippians. We're just tracking through Philippians. But Philippians has the number of threads that tie it all together. And there's this thread that goes all the way through it that you can't read the book of Philippians without seeing joy, rejoice, all of these different joyful things all the way through the book of Philippians. But then you also can't deal with the book of Philippians without seeing all of the plural things that Paul talks about. And he includes us. Philippians is written not to a person. When we looked at Timothy, he's writing to a guy, one of his disciples. Philippians is written to the town of Philippi, all the believers in the town of Philippi. So it's written to an, to an us. So as we look through and we see the us's and all the joy, what well makes sense that we would look at this concept of joy us. That all the way through, we find the joy of the Lord being found and being connected with a community of believers. And we're going to look at this for the next four weeks, and I'm so excited about it. So if you have your notes open, go ahead and do that. If you got your version app, it should be operable. And we're going to get into the middle of this. Because the truth that God is faithful to move us forward in Him should be a constant source of joy. This is just what, what Paul, he just comes right out of the shoots. He's writing this letter and he's, he's pouring out his thoughts and, and his passion and what he really wants to communicate to all these believers in Philippi. That man, this just is one of the very first thoughts on his mind as it's just, as it's just pouring out. And remember, he's writing to a group of believers. He's writing to a, a, whole, a whole crowd. He's writing to a whole us. And we, we kind of understand that especially as, as Americans. We ought to be able to embrace this even a little better than others because our, our, some of our founding documents start out with we the people. It's about us. We have made this decision. Our elections are about we making a decision. Everybody doesn't get their way, but it's designed that the bulk of people get their way, good or bad, however it is. That's what it's designed. We operate in an us all the time as Americans. We do it all the time. So as we begin to step into this and embrace the us that is talked about in here, I want want you to recognize that you have an assignment on your life. That you are unique. You are an, an... individual expression of creativity and artistry directly from the heart of God. And the only one that can mess up the uniqueness of you is you. By trying to cover you up and hide you in somebody else's disguise that you like a little bit better than that. We're going to get into this place of, of contentment and recognizing where you're at and the different places. And that your life is different than somebody else's life. And there's some amazing things about yours that are unique and amazing things about others. And not allowing the envy to come in here. And that's part of what those things allow us to really connect in this place of Usness. So let's go ahead and look at Philippians chapter 1, and we're just going to start out in verse 1. And I think it's awesome that as he's addressing an us, it starts out 
with an us that he named. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. He's not, he, Paul's the one writing the letter, but he includes that Timothy is a part of this process. I imagine that he, since he includes Timothy, that they did some discussion about what needed to be addressed in Philippi. That it's not just Paul getting alone with the Holy Spirit, getting the spiritual download from, from the Holy Spirit, and imparting this directly to the, the, the Philippians. He is sitting there, and there's, there's a Timothy involved. Timothy is involved in the middle of this. And we don't know what parts were Timothy's interjections. We don't know what parts are straight up Paul or what parts are, are something that's a consensus of the group. But we know that this is an expression of Paul and Timothy together. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus to all God's holy people in Christ at Philippi. All of you. This pertains to all of you. I want you to get this in your mind that this is for all of you. It's not, I'm not picking on one. I'm not saying these promises are for one. I'm not saying these are for one. No, this is for everyone there. One big us together with the overseers and deacons. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. That's the plural you. That I remember if, he was, if this was the West Texas version, it'd be, I remember y'all. I thank God every time I remember y'all. That's what it would say. Because that's what his heart is. When I think of Philippi, I think of this group of awesome people who've embraced this, this new way to connect with God. They were raised a different way. They've embraced the truth as the truth of what it is. These people aren't going to the first church of the Philippians at Philippi because this is where my great-grandmother went. And my goodness, this is where all of us go, and this is just what we do. No, these people heard the truth, and they had some difficult decisions to make, and they broke out of some old patterns, and they embraced this new community of believers. That's one of the things that amazes me about all of you. That you have connected here in a movie theater with a church that didn't exist six years ago. This isn't anybody's grandma's church. This isn't anybody's mom or dad's church. This is just a group of people who are sitting there. And I don't have a problem with heritage. I want us to have a heritage one day. <laughs> I think that's awesome. We have a long vision. I don't look down upon that. But for us to have this concept that, th that, that there's something fresh and new that God has for us is a beautiful, amazing thing. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. What an amazing thing as he thinks about this group of believers. He doesn't think about, oh my goodness, I've got the weight of all these new Christ followers over here in Philippi weighing me down. As I go into prayer, I think about all these. You know what? They're people. He addresses some of their, their junk. But when he thinks about them, he doesn't first think about their junk. He thinks about, and when, when they comes to mind, it's joy that fills their hearts. You know what, you, you shadow me enough, you follow me around enough, at some point you're going to deal with Brandon Clark's humanness. 
Maybe just showing up on Sundays you deal with it, and there's some reason to, to get offended and, and, and have your feelings hurt by me and these different things. All of us are there. But somehow Paul made a decision that when these people came to his mental image, there was nothing but joy that was associated. And then he gets into the reason, because your partnership, you've pulled in together. You've come in together. This joy is connected with this partnership, with this usness that has come together. Your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this. This is where the joy comes from. You want to enjoy every Christ-centered relationship in your life. You want to be able to actually have friendships that, la- that go past the seven-year mark. Studies show right now that most people's best friend in our modern U.S. culture lasts seven years. Then we have a falling out. Then we get sideways with each other. Then, and then we find a new one. And we move on. Whether that's uh, you pour that into spousal relations. It's just relationships, period. It's just relationships, period. Find new best friends about ever seven years, maybe sooner than that. And as believers, we ought to be able to have lifetime friends. We ought to be able to people that we lock arm. But guess what? There is some junk that shows up on the way that says, you know what? This is too much for me. You've hurt me too many times. This is what not. Or all of a sudden, I've been revealed. You're kind of crazy. And I'm not ready to intercede on that depth of level. I don't know what comes up, but sometimes we all of a sudden the rawness of where we're not fully Christ-like comes to the surface. And then we go, see ya. And there's this thing where Paul didn't do that. But there was this confidence. There was this confidence that comes in. And you and I, if we're going to do this thing long-term together, we're going to have to be here together. We want to keep the joy in the us We're going to have to do this. Let's take this in deeply. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you. This is Paul says, my joy stays steadfast because I'm confident. I'm confident. Paul's confident. That he who began a good work in y'all, that's the plural again, will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. When you hurt my feelings, I'm confident that God is at work in you to finish what he started. You're not going to be this same kind of jerk all the time. So I'm going to stay with you. You were going to be a little less of a jerk, and I'm going to be a little less of a jerk. And somehow this Christ-likeness comes out, and we're able to deal with each other a little easier. The problem is we split ways when we all of a sudden decide... You're just a jerk, and you're never going to change. Bye. That's when when we part ways. That's when we do it. That's when we cut relationships. That's when all of a sudden the us dissolves into a you and a me, and the we is gone. And so right here from the beginning, as we look at the joy and we find to keep the us together, you and I have to have this so deep down on the inside of us that we are confident. When I look at you, I'm confident. That's what makes me love 
being able to be a part of Celebration Church and to lead it and do it, not because it's stress-free, not because I never get phone calls that, that are difficult to deal with or counseling point, appointments that I'm just like, God, we just need some direct revelation because I don't know what to do because those happen because we're going through life together. We've, some of us have a lot of time where we didn't care about God and there's a lot of baggage. And we need to, and so as I, we sit down, the joy stays in because I can look at your face. And I don't care who you are. That I am confident. I am confident that He is faithful to complete the work He's begun in you. So I'll we'll lock arms together and we'll walk this out because I'm confident. I'm not confident in Celebration Church's ability to do anything in this community. I'm not. But I'm confident in our God. That if you and I will just stick together and we'll love on each other, man, that God will do some amazing things. Nobody gets the credit but him because none of us are that smart or that determined or that good at dealing with each other. But, man, he is. He's amazing. And if we'll just love on each other and we'll just lock arms and we'll just every time one of us offends the other, we just go, you know what? I'm confident God is going to deal with that. I'm confident. I'm confident he's going to work in you. That's what changes everything. Paul the apostle writes this epistle from a Roman jail with a death sentence over his head but found joy in his connection with what God was doing in others. Did anything you we read in this first little bit, did anything give you even a little bit of heaviness or depression or melancholy or weightiness at all? No, there's nothing there. You've got to know the history. You've got to know where he was when he wrote this to even remotely get the context because it doesn't bleed through. You would think he's sitting in some nice cushy place. Life is good. It's not. He's in jail with a death sentence on his head and he pours out these amazing encouragement <coughs> words to these people. Why? Because he found this source of joy. Not in the fact of what was happening in his own life. Because if he got very introspective. He would get depressed really fast. He found his joy. Not in what was happening in him. But with what was happening in others around him. All of a sudden the grandness of the, what was happening and these people got it connected with him and what was happening spilled over and created joy in a place where no joy should exist. Where no joy should exist, but it was there. You know, it's so easy for us to, to get into it. And it doesn't take long, man. We a group of people get together and, you know, all somebody has to do is go, man, you know, I, man, I'm kind of I'm kind of limping because uh, I, I stubbed my toe today. And then somebody's like, oh, man, I remember when I stubbed my toe. I bent it like sideways. You should have seen it. Oh, man, I remember I, remember, I had an uncle, man, and then he did this, and his leg was like cut all the way off. Well, I know this guy. And, and all of a sudden, we all know these worst stories. And things. Are, and it's so easy for things to, to just start getting snowballed. And, and we've all found ourselves in this place where we begin to get this comparison of this, well, my day's worse or all of this. And, and it's easy to get wrapped up in these different horror stories. But Paul didn't do it. What derailed that? Let's actually just take a, a brief little quick look at some of the junk Paul had dealt with. If you did not want to get in a bad day comp comparison with Paul, 
Maybe somebody else, not Paul. Paul would just one-up you all the time. Paul knew his bad days. Paul was shipwrecked. Then he was saved from the shipwreck, and he gets on the beach, and, and he's being forced to labor, and he gets snake-bitten. He gets harassed. He gets lied about. Five times, five times he was beaten with 39 lashes. That was by the Jewish people, who 40 was the most anyone could get, so they would do 39 in case they, in case they messed up in giving them. They didn't want to accidentally give one too many. He was stoned and left for dead. People hit him with rocks and were convinced that he was dead. Left him there thinking he was a rotting corpse. And it wasn't. He was, life was still in his body. He crawls out from under the rocks. And you know where he goes? Back to the town with the people that just stoned him. Guess what? Jesus still loves you. He still died for you. I'm a, I want to testify to that. My goodness, this man. He found he had dealt with all of these different issues, but found his joy in what God was doing in others. Jesus showed us this in John 15, 9. It says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that your joy so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Where's our joy made fully complete? In Christ. Okay? And then he says, and immediately after this, he says, My command is this love each other as I have loved you. Love each other as I have loved you. Where's that joy come about? In genuinely loving each other. Not like the old covenant said, as you love yourself. But as the new covenant with the love that Christ gives. Even more than we love ourselves. As Christ has loved. That's where that joy is found. It's found in loving and being connected with each other. And so with this, quickly we're going to look at some things that Paul understood. Because as soon as we say joy, we can immediately go into what it means to be happy. This concept of happiness. And Paul understood that there was a difference between the two. And first off, happiness is external and joy is internal. Happiness has to do with what's happening. And there are some things that happen that you don't like. Having just this great joy doesn't mean that we go and get a, get a little fake smile, you know, go to the plastic surgeon and get the little joker smile put on our face. So we smile at everything and we just say, oh, everything's great, everything's wonderful. No, some things are terrible. Some things are terrible. But it doesn't mean it has to rip the joy out of our guts. It doesn't mean that our overlying place of our confidence in what God is doing has to be in the middle of something terrible. He can be with us in spite of the fact that our external surroundings are terrible, but we can have joy internally from what he's doing. 2 Corinthians 4 says, Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away. So what's, what's happening around them? They're wasting away. This is difficult times. Yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day for our light and momentary troubles. This is Paul writing again, the guy that was shipwrecked, the guy that was beaten all the time, the guy that was stoned. 
He doesn't even make a big deal out of it. Our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes, not what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Next thing he understood was that happiness is based on circumstance, but that joy is based on Christ. This word and happiness is the word hap which is this, this Greek, <clears throat> this Latin root for luck. So many times people can think that it's all about, it's all about luck. It's all about, man, you know, the, this person's just luckier than me, and that's why their life is good, and, you know, I'm just unlucky, and I just don't get any breaks, and that's why my life stinks, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be sad for myself. And that's not, it's not about luck circumstances can deal with just the haphazardness of life. But joy is about what's happening and what Christ has done for us. Philippians 1, 7 through 8 says, It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart, whether I'm in chains or or defending and confirming the gospel. All of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. It just keeps coming back to this place. It just keeps coming back to this place where it's this connection to what God is doing in all of you. That it's right that he finds joy. He says it's right. That's what he had just said. This is verse 7 and 8. Verse 6, he had just said that I'm confident that God is, that I have this joy because I'm confident that God's going to be faithful. And he says, and it's right that I feel this way about you because you share with me in God's grace. It's God's grace that's at work. It's not even that he's confident that you're working really hard at being better. It was that confident at God's grace at work. In fact, Philippians 4.11, which we'll look again in in a few weeks, but I wanted to bring it in here today because it, it's so powerful. It says that Paul says, For I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Some of us always think that joy, real joy in life, is one event away. If I just get this pay raise, if I just get this thing, if this person would just say they're sorry, if this person would just do that, if, if I was able to just get reconciliation on this front, man, if I was able to just lose 10 pounds, if I was able to do it's just one event away and joy is mine. No, no. Because you get there, you lose the 10 pounds and you're like, oh, must have been 10 pounds more because I'm still not happy. Let's go again. Man, I was wrong about the raise. It needed another another one. It's that second raise. Then I'm going to be happy. It's, a, it's always fleeting. It's always gone. That's why joy comes into whatever the circumstances are. So now we're going to dig down real quick into how this affects your and I life. Yours and I are connected life together. This understanding, people, of what that God is at work in our lives. It enables us to keep our joy no matter what happens. No matter what happens. 
in the middle of it, we're confident that God isn't stopping there. He's not stopping right there. There's a reason that the artist doesn't present his work halfway done. Because it's not done. But guess what? One of the few art pieces that we're living in the middle of this new creation he's doing and we're, we're judging ourselves constantly. But guess what? He's not done. He's still faithful to be at work in us and we need to embrace that finished work and what he's doing. Philippians 1.9 says, And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. That your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. As you are growing and knowing God better and trusting him more, that love, that root place for our joy to grow out of, it abounds. It increases. The next thing we take away from this is that doing life together helps us to overcome the distractions of what happened. If you want to be stuck in what happened, pull back and isolate yourself. Because guess what? All you have left is what's come up to you. Good or bad. You get isolated and all you do is mull on all of those different things. Now, I'm not picking on the introverts in the room, okay? Being an introvert doesn't mean you're not, you don't need people being connected. Just real quick for those of you that, don't, that are people people. I'm a people person. I gain energy by being around people. It feeds me to be connected with people. And my alone time drains me. Which, which in that place, then there are these, these places that I have lear- I've had to really learn how to fellowship with God and have that connection as I'm alone studying. Early on, and as, a, as a young minister, I would find myself, I had a hard time studying because I would be in, and sit there being alone. And I'd be enjoying the subject matter, and all of a sudden, I'd find I'd walk away, and I'd go find somebody to talk to. I'm standing in somebody's doorway, visiting with them. I'm finding somebody down the hall and talking to them. Well, I'm just needing that little interaction. Then I realized, here I was. I had the presence of God around me all the time. I was studying Him and ignoring Him at the same time. That would be like my wife trying to visit with me and go, "Uh, dear, not right now. I'm trying to think about how to bless you. (laughs) Don't, 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 no, 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 please don't talk to me right now. I'm really, I'm really planning something awesome for you. It makes no sense. (laughs) That makes no sense. And all of a sudden my, my study time grew and I, and all of a sudden I, I was able to do what is I've really began to enjoy and fellowship with God. Do you know some of the greatest influencers in the Christian world stand in front of masses of people are introverts? They're introverts. You're like, how do they deal with all those people? It's because they gain their energy and their aloneness. And they're able to sit there and they're very, very comfortable in that place of just them and God. And they can spend hours studying and growing and all this kind of stuff. And it gains energy and then it takes, it pulls energy off of them to be around people. And they make these incredible deposits and pull all of these different things out. 
All of a sudden, sometimes people, introverts, begin to look down upon their own giftings and think, I can't really be a part of an us because when I get with us, it makes me tired. <laughs> makes, it wears me out. I can only deal with people for so long. How do I fit in this big picture of the kingdom of God when I get around his people and then a little bit later, I want to get away from them? That's because in those times, there's this depth that can come in your aloneness that then there's this incredible deposit that can be made in your corporate time. And it is all of this stuff that's, that works together. Every personality, every, indiv- every individual was made to thrive in community. Even the introverts, the extroverts, all of us were made to thrive and to feed in community. Philippians 1.12 says, Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else, I'm in chains for Christ. This is the first time we get any inclinations that something's kind of off in Paul's daily life. That he is in chains for Christ. Because my chains, mo- <clears throat> because of my chains, most of my brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. All of a sudden, because they locked up one Paul, all of a sudden it turned into a whole bunch of Pauls. All of a sudden it turned all of them loose. They said, we're going to shut this guy down and we're going to stick him in a jail. We're going to chain him to the wall and he's not going to be able to do anything. But everybody that departed said, had he imparted into, from him, all of a sudden they're running their mouths. The more that the powers that be tried to squash it, the more that it got out and began to take place. And he found life in that. Last thing is, is that doing life together helps us focus on what really matters. There's some junk that happens in doing life together. I'm just not even kidding. You've been around long enough to know that uh, of all the people on the planet that needed to be saved, church people needed the most. Lord, help us all. I think that's why we may be the front runners that say, yes, Lord, I need it. Because, man, we're just some jacked up people. And as we come together... And we and are honest. Well, guess what? We're still in process. We're still in this thing, letting God work in you and work in me. And we have to remember to focus on what really matters. Now, let's look here. These are some of just some astounding words to me as a minister. Some astounding words. Let's look at fifteen as we're wrapping this thing up. It says, "It is true that some people, I mean, some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry." Some people preach Jesus out of envy and rivalry. There are some who've come along and they have seen the popularity and the influence of Paul. And they're envious of that and they want some of that. All of a sudden this Christian thing is catching on. And some people jumping on that train and they're preaching because they're just, they want that thing. They're rivals of Paul. Man, I can out, that, that Paul's a hack. I can preach around that guy like crazy. You think that you, you like him? Boy, I can, I can out-preach that, Paul. That's that rivalry thing. It says some are preaching. They're preaching Jesus, the gospel of who he is. Preaching Jesus out of envy and rivalry. And others out of goodwill. Others are doing it with a good heart. The latter, 
that the, the group of the goodwill do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former, out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, means they're fakes. Supposing that they can stir up some trouble for me while I'm still in these chains. This sounds like this great place to really be irritated and fluffed and go, let's put on our dukes and we're going to deal with this. Look how he deals with this. This is just, it's not even people, that, we're not even talking about some misunderstandings. We're not even talking about, you know, oh, you walked past me at HEB and you didn't say hi to me, so, so I'm mad at you now. There, there's no, it's not of the end of this silly stuff. This is serious, heavy stuff. But let's look at verse 18. It says, but what does it matter? Oh my God, Matt, Paul, come on, we're preachers. It matters. It matters. It matters to me if I'm preaching out of selfish ambition. It matters to me if I'm preaching out of envy and rivalry. It matters to me. It matters to Brandon Clark. It matters. But Paul, you're messing with me here because now you say, what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Paul, you want to talk about this attitude dealing with all of the tensions between the denominations and the churches across town? If we'll all embrace this, it goes away. You preach Christ... Maybe I think your motives are off. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Christ is preached. I rejoice. What the church does across town, Christ is preached. I rejoice. Oh, did you hear what they're doing? Is Christ preached? Yep, then I rejoice. Did you hear how that leader or that group of leaders or what they did or this happened? or Man, somebody embezzled some money or somebody did this. Is Christ preached? Yep, I rejoice. That just goes against everything within us except when you look at the big picture. That everyone needs to know about the amazing truth of who God is. Folks, this thing about us doing life together is so important. This thing, about that's why small groups are so important. It's easy to come here and and connect, but man, you really want to take life together to the next level, get connected with a small group. In just a few weeks, we're going to be kicking those things off again. Get connected in a small group. You don't even have to be in part of one of ours. Maybe you can be a part of a a Emmaus reunion group, or maybe you can be in part of a Bible study at your office that's a bunch of people from different churches. I don't care what heading it falls under. It doesn't have to be under, on the back of Celebration Church's bulletin. You just need to be connecting on purpose with other believers. We're going to give you room to do it with, with the things we provide. But just connect with other believers and grow together and that's where the strength and that's where the joy is. Philippians one twenty one says, For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. All he wants to see, all, all the other junk doesn't matter. Just let Christ be promoted. And that's all that matters. Folks, ultimate joy always grows as we love God and we love others. Anything that's robbing your joy is challenging your love of God and your love of somebody. It is. Anything that's robbing your joy is challenging one of those things.
I want to create a quiet moment. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your love for us here in this moment. Lord, we thank you for what you do in and through us. And Lord, we want your picture of us. We look at ourselves wrong. We look at our neighbors wrong. Left to our own devices, we we come up with all sorts of messed up stuff. But God, it comes down to just this simple thing, to love you. And and Lord, that really is easy because you've loved us first. And then this other thing that can be even more challenging for us, and that's love each other. Lord, I just invite, we invite your presence, Heavenly Father, to carry us forward in a deeper level of love for each other, every believer. Not just the people that gather together, not just the believers that gather together under the same banner and under the same name, but everyone that says they connect with you. And Lord, and give us a heart for those who haven't stepped over yet, who haven't placed their faith yet. Lord, because you died for them too. And Lord, as we love you and love others, Lord, change, the world has changed. And we thank you for that. If you're here this morning and you simply want to say yes to the, to the grace of God, if you simply want to say, I believe that Jesus died on my behalf and that I can be right with God, not based on what I've done, but based on what he did, I believe that Jesus is my Savior. I want you to raise your hand. Awesome, awesome. Awesome. Yes, 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 yes. Believers, I want you to lift your voices with these. 